This bar crawl radio episode with New York City jazz pianist Stephen Feifke's Caravan, composed by Juan Tizal, made famous by the Duke Ellington Orchestra, and which Feifke arranged for his own big band. Mr. Feifke is with us today on Bar Crawl Radio, along with saxophonists Jeff Burke and Dave Pietro. We are recording on the porch of Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on the Upper West Side to talk about the jazz scene in our city. And so, here we go! Okay, okay, okay. Calm down, everybody. Calm down. <laughs> you mean me? Uh, yeah, you. That BCR bop-bop is not jazz, but Wade Ripka's Eastern Blockheads band. They play regularly at Barbez in Brooklyn, but we're not here to talk about Soviet 70s pop. Rather, since the 1960s and earlier, New York City has been jazz central, and we want to explore how Gotham got to be top in jazz. Where we are now, where we're going, with three talented, working New York City jazz musicians. And up front, first, is Stephen Feifke. He has been described by Ed Kopp of Jazzy's Magazine as a masterful pianist with an acute sense of harmony. Stephen is also a band leader and composer. He performs regularly at the Blue Note, Smalls, and Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola. His orchestrations can be heard on numerous albums by artists like Veronica Swift and Santina Fontana. Who we know is uh, plays Prince Hans, right? And he's in starring in, uh, and he has starred as Tootsie on Broadway. Are okay. he's starring now? Santino Fontana. Yeah, his music can be heard on Jerry Seinfeld's "Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee," and his debut album is "Peace in Time," released independently in 2015. Saxophonist Jeff Burke has performed with Harry Connick Jr., the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, the Artie Shaw Orchestra, and others. As a member of the Connick Orchestra, he has appeared on the NBC nationally syndicated talk show, Harry, for two seasons, which, by the way, has been canceled. Uh, and we never got to see it. Shoot. Uh, maybe, maybe there's reruns. Jeff Burke can also be heard on the live CD-DVD, Harry Connick Jr. in concert on Broadway. David Pietro is a talented saxophonist, band leader, and composer who has been on the New York City music scene since 1987. Dave recorded with the Toshiko Akiyoshi Jazz Orchestra and toured with Woody Herman, Lionel Hampton, the Village Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, and many others. He has performed with Paul Anka, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Ray Charles, Rosemary Clooney, Harry Connick Jr., Michael Feinstein, Chaka Khan, Liza Minnelli, and the Dave Matthews Band. And Dave is the director of jazz studies at NYU. So welcome all to Bar Crawl Radio. Uh, and this conversation will be about the state of jazz in New York City today. And how are we, how are we doing? Everybody got a, a, something to drink? Well, everyone's got a drink except Stephen. Stephen, you want some water, Stephen? Um, he, he got here late. We can I, do I that. Can he share feels my, badly, I think. I can, no. Are you punishing yourself? <laughs> I'm not punishing myself, but I'm all good. Thanks for asking. Like no worries. All right, okay. okay. All right. And I think the three of us are we're drinking the same IPA. It's, it's really good. They have, they have good IPA here at Gephardt's. Beer culture bar, tea and you ha- you have a tea. Oh, so you decided to drink? I did. That's good. Good. Okay. <laughs> right, and you're drinking Tito's. We're, we're trying to get Tito's to sponsor us. So yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> we're, we're we're you know we're, we're advertising Tito's. We just it's good. need another ninety thousand listeners. Good stuff, Tito's. <laughs> right. Texas vodka. It's a quick drunk, and you feel good the next morning. Is that good? No. Is that a Dallas? Is it a Dallas? Yeah. Tito's. It is Texas. Yeah. Mm. They're Texas. I, don't know if it's da- I might be. Maybe like, Austin. Maybe Austin, San Antonio. 
don't but it know. is Texas. We, we know Are that. you Texan? No, but I went to school there. I went to the yeah. University of North Texas. Right. I was born <clears throat> there, but I moved away. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really feel Texan myself. <laughs> so, Jeff, I heard that you're an Upper West Sider, and you lived there 20 years, and you're the proud dog owner of Doxy. Doxy. I just walked her, in fact. And you I rescued her from yeah. the SPCA in Philadelphia. In Philly, yeah. Alan tells me you have a story. About Doxy? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was uh, a baseball game where, where I got her. The, the she Phillies. wandered onto the field. No, no. Oh. They, they do adopt a pet night. I'll take her. <laughs> I think they still do it. At that time, there's a, a player named Chase Utley, who is their second baseman, and his wife is a, uh, is a huge rescue dog advocate. So right. she kind of organized this event with the SPCA. And um, we went knowing it was a, a dog rescue night. My mom called me and said, you know. We got to go. Well, she knew I was kind of floating the idea out there. Ah. And so we went, and it was a Red Sox, Phillies, and I spent a lot of time. I grew up in high school in Boston. so Is that a real grudge kind of game, no, too? There's, there's Nothing like New York, no, right? No, no it's oh, not okay. like New York, Boston. Not, there's nothing no, like that. No. no. Um, in fact, they, they, they alternate no. who wins. So <laughs> yeah, I say, they're very <laughs> Phillies and then the Sox. There's no rivalry there. It's not a lot of history. Yeah. You know, they're different divisions and all that. Uh, but uh, I... I didn't go there intending really to, I didn't think seriously anything would happen, but I saw Doxy and I fell in love with oh her and ended up taking her home a couple days later. She looked at you, <laughs> big doggy eyes. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. I mean, especially in this neighborhood, when you get a dog, it just opens up a whole nother world that you just, you kind of don't see it. You got to yeah. put, it's like putting on glasses and, and seeing another dimension. You join the dog owner's club. You join club. this whole kind of club you know and, and then you start doing going to parts of the city the parks and things that dog kinda, runs yeah i mean i was just a, i saw them but you you appreciate it at a greater level yeah 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 we've but, babysat for our daughter's dog and been to those uh, dog yeah, runs. We, we need to bring yeah. this back to jazz a little bit <laughs> okay do, who does docs who does docs listen named to after you know the sunny rollins there oh, you okay. go so there you there's go. the so what, what, what jazz, jazz does she enjoy she loves all music she, yeah, she's not it's great. Some dogs are skittish when with loud noises, and she doesn't mind. Yeah. She doesn't mind. Doesn't mind the practice. She's just happy. Yeah. And Dave, Dave mm-hmm. uh, Pietro is here with us. I recently interviewed Lou Tabakin, ah. and uh, husband of Toshika Akiyoshi. Right, Upper West Sider. Who, who I met there, Upper West Sider apartment. I met mm-hmm. their daughter, and you played with the, with her band for over twenty for years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was. Uh, I started playing. I started subbing in the band in the early '90s, and then uh, uh, 1994, I joined the band playing lead alto. And uh, last gig we did was 2016. She disbanded the band a few years ago, but uh, why? Well, uh, it's not easy running a big band. That she's 89 years old. I think she yeah. was like she looks she's good. 80. Oh wow! Actually, she just turned 90. I think. Wow! Yeah. wow. So and she just quit that. a couple years ago. Yeah. So oh my you know, I, it was. Uh, <laughs> God, As you can imagine, tr- it, it's it's like having a crowling cats, you know, having a big band and putting all that together. So oh, right. sure. she right. went back to doing her trio work and all that. But I've been to Japan uh, 26 times now. I went so many. We, sometimes we would go two, three times a year doing tours. So it was wow. great. It was a. It, I mean, I learned so much. And uh, did I you have learn the language? Beer, kurasai. Beer, please. I, I, can, <laughs> I can say that in 30 different languages. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have so much respect for her as, um, you know, she, both as a, uh, an Asian American and as a woman coming up in the 50s and, and establishing a place for herself in jazz. Uh, she's it was really a groundbreaker in many many ways. We should really have her on the show. That'd be great. Yeah, we have Lou and, and maybe get mm. Dave in. That'd be great. Maybe we can get Charles for that one. Yeah, we would try to get Charles Tolliver in, but anyway, that's another story. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's me. Yeah, it's your okay, turn. Okay, my turn. So Stephen and Jeff, you did not start out wanting to be musicians, or maybe you did, but you started out. You studied um, Jeff. Jeff, you studied public policy at Duke University. I did. Yeah. And Stephen, you studied economics along with music at NYU. Mm-hmm. I went to NYU too. Ah. How did you get into the jazz career? Either of you can speak up. Let's, let's hear How from Stephen. We haven't heard from Stephen yet. Yeah. Sure. So um, I uh, moved to New York in 2009. Uh, I had applied to a bunch of colleges that had a dual degree program. I knew I always wanted to do music. And then uh, 
uh, I, but I wanted to pursue academia as well. So when I got to school at NYU, uh, I was fortunate there's, that there's not only a, a great jazz program, but there's also uh, the College of Arts and Sciences, which is um, renowned as well. And um, so, I, so I just wound up, uh, uh, you know, being at NYU, being a part of the, the culture uh, of New York City, of downtown New York City, and going to all the jazz clubs when I was um, a freshman. Smalls was a 10-minute walk from, from, my, from my dorm room. Yeah, NYU is perfectly located for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, start, I studied with Gil Goldstein when I was at school, and when I was studying with him, he, he and I became close, and uh, he has become a great mentor for me. Um, all right, guys, say cheese. <laughs> um, but he, <laughs> for the listeners, we're taking a quick we're photo. We're taking a quick photo. <laughs> yeah. um, we do that. So I became close with Gil, and he, you know, similarly to owning a dog on the Upper West Side, it was like putting on a pair of glasses, like a whole other world opened up to me that, you know, this is a career that you could pursue. Um, and fortunately, my professor is sitting here to my left, um, <laughs> Dave Pietro, <laughs> Professor Pietro, as I still call him, Professor. Um, I remember being in his uh, arranging class and his improv class uh, when I was at school, and I remember like running from economics. Like if I had a question for that teacher, I would ask that teacher that question. Then I would literally sprint from uh, the from the main campus, uh, College of Arts and Sciences, to the Third North building where the jazz department is located and I would uh, sometimes I was on time to Dave's class <laughs> good, good thing a you were playing a wood a, instrument yes a true. wood instrument I mean right true yeah, so, so it so, seems to me that your love of jazz music and, and, and being a musician right. just was sorry over. I, I skirted around your question a yeah, bit no but, worries. but yeah I'd always wanted to be a musician you know like I said just being in New York at NYU like so close to everything it just felt like a very natural progression and then meeting Gil and um, becoming close with Gil, like that's when I decided that this is something that I pursue it. Yeah. And Jeff, you had you always been interested in music, or absolutely? Um, it's, uh, was I, it always going to be your what you were? No, I, I didn't really know. I mean, I there was a professor named Paul Jeffrey at Duke, and he was kind of the, the only professor there that's that uh, studied um, that had a, you know was the jazz program of one basically. And Paul played with Monk and Mingus and Dizzy. Um, he was best friends with Sonny Rollins. They would talk every day on the phone. How did he get phone. to Duke? Well, he, start, he took a job. Uh, he worked with Jackie at Hart for a bit, and then he went to Rutgers in the 80s, or early 70s. And then um, I think Mary Lou Williams was down there for a bit, and then I think she recommended him. And he went down in 83, and he, he was professor there until probably 2000 and. He was there until he retired. And he passed away about three years ago. Right. But and had you had you been playing the sax before? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I played in high school. Um, but he was the reason I, I went to Duke because we had family friends that went and, and were aware of him. I didn't know anything about him until I got there, and then I was just blown away. And he was basically my mentor. And I mean, I was a public policy major. I didn't do the double major like you. That, Oh, I, I didn't actually complete my double major. Okay. <laughs> Just um, side note. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work, but I, you know, I, um, my, my, my plan out of school was I was interning at Jazz and Lincoln Center, and they had offered me a job out of college because they were expanding so rapidly at that time. And so my first experience in New York was interning for two summers in like 96 and 97. And I was all ready to take a job, uh, but I moved here to go to Queens College for grad school. And then uh, Paul called me, and he's like, you know, there's this music copying position with Harry Connick. You should drop out and, and take the job. And, um, so that kind of derailed my... I would have been working like arts administration, because I thought that was... My degree was best lended towards that. Are you happy you moved in the direction you have? Yeah, no, I am. Obviously, like... Uh, right. And you've been with Harry Connick for a while now. Yeah, since 2000. You know, I was just going to interject it, yeah. hearing these guys tell... Uh, you know, reminded me of my story coming here at 23 after graduating and I think we're talking about the New York jazz scene and I think a big part of the New York jazz scene uh, for the long for a long time it's been considered uh, to be the center of, of, of the jazz scene it's debatable uh, and all that but but it's certainly one of the major places in the world and I, I think a big part of it like hearing Stephen and Jeff tell the story is 
you, you, you have this interest, but you don't know how you stack up. You don't know where you, and, and the way to find out is you, you go. You go to New York and you but, meet the but best the thing musicians. Is you, you go to New York. Yeah. You, you go don't to, go to Kansas City. Well, I mean, there are good scenes uh, in a lot of different places, but I mean, it, it, you know, New York is kind of the giant magnet. There's an other right. magnets, but New York is the biggest magnet, let's say. And so this is where if you're, you, you learn something about yourself. I mean, the city is a tough place to live and it's challenging, but you, you, you come here to find out what you have to offer, um, where you fit in, and, and I think that's a big part of it. And some people don't stay, but they learn a lot about themselves and in um, and, and their music and, and doing so. I think it's a big part of it. So yeah. I always heard um, that New York was called the Big Apple because it was, it's like a prize. Like to get a booking here if you're yeah. a, a performer, yeah. it's the hardest place to get booked, the hardest place to be successful, right. but it's the best place. And, and or it's New like Orleans the Frank Sinatra the song, if I can make it there, I can make well, it anywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. Clean, and it, it's New Orleans was the big easy. It's true. It's true. That, it's true. Was, that was absolutely Paul Jeffrey's <laughs> message. He was, you have to go to New York. Yeah. I think that was yeah. curled into our brains. Right. Okay, okay right, right. But, but New York wasn't, did you want to say something? I just want to finish with, okay. with, yeah. um, with David. Oh, with Dave, you always wanted to be. You were always going to be a musician. Um, yes, uh, that was. Uh, but my parents, um, they were. I'm the oldest, the only, the first musician in my family, and they were a bit. Uh, There's a lot of trepidation about what, me. What did your father do? My father's an electronic engineer, retired, um, and I'm I'm the oldest son, so I was supposed to take over the business. There you go. But I abdicated, and my brother, who's two years younger, took over the business and moved next door to my. It's like everyone loves Raymond, you know. My oh, yeah. next door to my yeah, parents yeah, yeah. in Massachusetts. All we're both from Massachusetts, but we're all three of us. Yeah. From Massachusetts. Oh, oh yeah. yes, that's right. All three of us. So, what, um, so I'm curious. What what was it? Was it at when you were three or twelve that you said, "I'm not going to go into electronics. I'm going uh, to." I don't. Be it just was a, a calling. Is the only way. And you were playing the sax then when you were. At, yeah, I started in playing school? in 1974. I was mm -hmm. ten years old. Yeah. Ten. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but but I I tell. You know, I, as a, I'm an the academic advisor um, at New York University for the Jazz Studies majors, the undergrads, and um, I tell I tell people um, mu music ha it has to be a calling. There's no sane reason to go into the music business. <laughs> it has to be a calling. It has to be something that you have to do, and then you figure out a way to make a living at it. If you have to think, should I be a musician? Should I not be a musician? You should do something else. And, you know, you can always, music will always be there. You can do it as a hobby. No one will ever take music away from you. So I think for people, they, that's part of coming here is finding, it, it, you get challenged and you find out, okay, is this a calling or... Right. Is I this think that's true of a lot of performing careers. Acting, yes. dancing. True, true, true. It's so much, so difficult and so challenging. It has to be something that you think, I can't do anything else. Right. That's it. That's I just all. have to figure out a way to make a living at this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, we, we, we were talking about uh, New York City as a jazz center. And in doing, preparing for this, I came across an article by um, Ted Gioia in The Observer described New York City as the epicenter of jazz. And I think we've kind of established it kind of is. If you want to make it in jazz, you come here. Uh, and it wasn't At least for now, It wasn't always like that. Uh, uh, it wasn't York. always like that, but it's like that for a long time, and, and there are many that would argue that it's changing now. Like, there's a great scene in L.A. That's, that's sort of a new scene that's sort of budding there, and in Europe, and in other places, uh, that, that New York is not quite the epicenter that it was at like one point. Like Paris? Not London. Um, pa Paris, um, in, you know, Germany, and places in Berlin, and places there. Um, London also has an amazing yeah. scene. Does. Yeah. A lot of, lot of places right. to play. Cool. But I, I would think in order to... All right, let's talk about this. What makes New York City that place where jazz happens? I mean, every city's different. You've been to different cities. You mm -hmm. guys have traveled the world. Japan. Japan is not New York. Mm. Tokyo is not New York. Mm. Can, can you describe what is it that's New York City that kind of vibrates with jazz? Is it the subway? Is it... Uh, the history? History? Is it I the think, streets? Is it I mean, for me, it's all, it's all of it. I mean, you know, jazz has always been, uh, you know, a cultural mix, and it's been... A, it's a, it, jazz in, by itself, the music is a combination of, of cultures and, you know, very American this way, and New York is, is all of that, you know, and, and, and New York is also uh, a place where you're challenged and... 
there's a certain that finds its way into the music. There's an intensity. There's a. I mean, I remember having a conversation with with um, Bradford Marcellus one time, and he had just moved to L.A. to do name drop. Yeah, not to. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm sure everybody not, knows everybody. I mean, and not not to like I said, things have changed quite a bit. But he had been in New York for a long time, and he was doing the Tonight Show in L.A. and and. I said, uh, so, you know, how are things going out there? And he said, you know, it's, it's, it's just different. It's like you call people here in the middle of the day. They, you know, they want to play a session. They'll get together. They'll rehearse hard music. Out there, people are like, well, I have a golf game or, you know, it's too long a drive. Or, you know, there's, a, there's an intensity here and people uh, that, I, that I think adds to it. Yeah. Is, is, Jeff, you want to say something? No, I, I think he's right. The, the spirit of the city, it's just... It all, is all industries, it just has that intensity to it. Yeah. yeah, and Chicago doesn't have it? It does, but, I mean, yeah, it's more spread out. The subways don't run as late, you know. I mean, you can... I, I, mean, see, it all I, I think it has to do with the subways. It does. Mean, you can get anywhere you need to be. But that makes a big difference if you're starting out here as, as a young person, you know, wanting to get into the jazz business. And, and you want you know, to jump from to, club to club. And you and you need to... No question. The geography has a lot way. to do with it, I think. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Is there a New York City jazz sound? Is there something you identify... I mean, there was the Harlem slide, which kind of was Harlem. That was a long time ago. Is, is Has any of that exist, exist today? I mean, I think of that if you compared... Um, uh, different scenes like if you took like a an average I don't even know how you would do that but if you tried your best if you uh, took an average of what the the music sounds like uh, you could probably identify um, a different uh, location whether it's New York or whether it's somewhere else and you know historically you know Jerry Mulligan Chet Baker those those guys recording on the cool jazz scene in LA versus Dizzy Miles Charlie Parker Hey, look, there's a bassist. I was just going to say, <laughs> you know, I was just going to make a comment about yeah. bassist. Yeah. That's a, that was a plant, though. We we're, paid him to we, walk by at that time. Yeah, we're on the porch of Campbell's Bar, drinking Tito's. And, uh, he's just it's gonna, his job. He's going to walk back. You know, I was, I, was actually, I was actually going to say it. I, I feel like I have to say to some of the bass players walked by that my, what I was going to say before the bass player walked by was <laughs> what I've noticed, the one thing is in New York, that the bass players play m- more on top of the beat. They yeah, it's urgent. There's really? an urgency to bass, like like in the swing. Like, like, like oh. I need to be heard? No, it's just like, you know, instead of being laid back behind, you know, it's like yeah. they play it in time, but if you, you can play on the back part of the beat, the middle part of the beat, or on the front part. And then that's a New York thing, I think, you play on the front part yeah. of the beat. And it gets huh. back to having to carry the bass down the subway stairs, you know? <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> you want to get done fast? He probably got off the subway with his, with his, with his bass here. That, yeah, that, yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's the yeah. struggle. You know, I, I actually... It's not elevator. People don't, if you're not here, you have to go down oh, no. stairs. It's it a just, big deal. Most of the stations... Yeah. Or you have to look for the elevator. Yeah. You, you know, I, when my when my friends from Japan came uh, here, I, I, I kind of babysat my friend. The, just logistics of it worked out that I took his bass for a day. So for one day in my 32 years in New York, I took an <laughs> acoustic bass all around the city. And I, I, I agree with that theory because I was ready to play on top of the beat after yeah. one day. Of, wow, wow. You are listening to Bar Crawl Radio, recording on the porch of Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar, across the street from the mortuary and down the block from a wonderful statue of Eleanor Roosevelt at Riverside Park, by the way. We are having a conversation with Jeff Burke, Stephen Feifke, and David Pietro, and we'll be right back. That was Jeff Burke's Jazz Quintet playing in the West Side Community Garden in June this past summer, playing Jeff's version of Roy Hargrove's Soppin' Up the Biscuit. Let's, let's, before we move on, let's talk about Soppin' Up the Biscuit, because I was at that concert, and I recorded it, and that's, that recording is my setup. I was very proud that I was able to get that sound. It sounded really good. We were outdoors, and mm-hmm. luckily the wind wasn't blowing. And uh, to Talk about Roy Hargrove's. Uh, why, why were you playing him? Well, I mean, we're all from the Boston area, I guess, and and for me, like, Roy went to to Berkeley for, I mean, he wasn't there very long, but, I mean, he was a local, I mean, everyone in the area, especially in the early 90s, like, they were the crop of young jazz musicians coming up, and 
it just infused the whole scene with this energy. And so uh, I always loved Roy growing up, and he was a big reason why I pursued um, being a musician. And at that time, last summer, he had only passed away. It wasn't that long. It was maybe six months. It was October. Before November. that concert. Yeah, and yeah. I had seen one of his last shows in London. Uh, I think it was the Jazz Cafe or somewhere, and I, I can't remember, in Soho or... And uh, it, it was just transcendent, and I had not known it would be my last time seeing or hearing him. And uh, when it, we came down to putting this program together, I just kept coming back to Roy's tunes, you know, and I said, well, why don't we just do a tribute? And, you know, it would be, it seemed apropos, so. It was, and um, I, I run Upper West Side Radio also, mm -hmm. and we've been playing very, uh, different pieces of that concert uh, during, during the day. Uh, and I, I advise, I, I recommend anyone to, because it's really wonderful. And there's a wonderful piece you played right at the end that was a Roy Hargrove cover. Yeah, it was a Sam Cooke. Uh, Sam Cooke. Bring it home cover. to me, I think. Or? It was a religious piece. Well, it's... Had a kind of religious feel. It's more of a gospel. Gospel, yeah. right. But he yeah. would, that, that was a, one of his, he would always close out his shows with that. Yeah. And yeah. he had his own kind of uh, arrangement of it, which is amazing. I am wondering, who are your inspirations? Who, who do you go to when you're arranging or you're you're doing a riff dave and it's like who who do you model if anyone oh uh, well um there are so many people to be honest with you it's it just depends on uh where i what music i'm working on and where i'm at i mean it could be uh gil evans it could be john coltrane could be cannonball could be miles davis could be puccini Puccini. Could be Stravinsky. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, in inspiration, and, and not even just musicians. I mean, it could be, you know, poets or books I've read. Or what I mean, it, 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 inspiration is all around. I think, you know, it's just a matter of being open to it. So I mean, so, yeah, I think we, we so, so jazz can be, jazz is more than just the music. It's you're being inspired from all over. I guess music is always inspired. Jazz from is a way of life. I mean, no, Talk no about it, jazz is life. No, because here's the deal. I mean, y you know, in, in jazz, you have a form. You have a, a melody, but then really it's a form. And then you sort of improvise within the form. But that's what life is. I mean, we have a form, a 24-hour day. We're going to live, you know, a certain life expectancy. And within that form, we improvise our lives. And so it is, that's what I'm saying when I, you know, what I mean when I say jazz is life is that we have a form and we're improvising within that form and every day is different and every tune is different and you can play the same tune have the same Tuesday it's a Tuesday and something different happens some of the same things happen some different things happen right. Boy, I, wish, I wish I could play jazz I wish I could do that <laughs> that'd be that sound it's so cool I mean so you, you watch you're watching a movie and like it like it really you get turned on by some weird movie and it kind of mm -hmm. like then it gets into your music yeah exactly that's right. true. Yeah, a Cinema Paradiso. <laughs> I just saw Cinema Paradiso. That's an, that's an amazing. The new Plaza Cinema. Is thing. that I want a beer in Italian or? Cinema Paradise. I just saw it. I just started so it's Stephen, weird. What, you should say that. What about you, Stephen? What is? What are your inspirations? Um, when I was growing up, my first record was the Atomic Count Basie. Um, and then I got a Winton Kelly Sextet record, and then I got a couple of McCoy Tyner solo piano records. And then I just um, kept digging and digging and digging, and um, you know, similarly to Professor Pietro over here, I, <laughs> I love Gil Evans. I, I love big band writing and orchestral writing. Some of my favorite uh, current writers are Vince Mendoza, Jim McNeely, uh, Darcy James Argue. You know, going further back, I guess Bob Brookmeyer, Thad Jones. I'm becoming the guy, the close talker. You are. You are the close talker. Yes, I've noticed that. No, it's nice. Keep doing that. It's good. It's soothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't have to kind of strain to hear you. Right. But, you know, as, seriously, as Dave was saying, you know, the influences come in from, from everywhere in your life. And, you know, jazz is life. And your, your life influences your playing. And, you, you know, jazz is a, really just a, an expression of who you are and the sum of your experiences thus far and maybe what you hope to and plan to or don't know you will experience in the future. Um, and you're making things up in the moment. So everything that you experience kind of um, goes into your playing and becomes a part of your 
your musical identity, your 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 identity as a as a as a person. So if you're so if you're unhappy about something, do you play? What do you what did you say on the downbeat at the end of the beat or something? Like, <laughs> does it does it sound different? Do you think? Um, I mean, I think that emotions uh, definitely influence music. Uh, however, I think that when you are playing and when you're like truly in the moment. Um, playing, whether it's by yourself or whether it's in a group, whatever the setting is, um, that it's very um, uh, one of one of the greatest feelings, in, in my opinion, in the world is just playing music in the moment, and you get lost in the music, and and it becomes one and the same. You know, I don't think that there's a separation even between who who you are as a person and who you are as a musician. I think it's um, the same. Is there a loss of time? Does time kind of yeah, kind of for a second. I'm, 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 we, we just were at the gin mill. I was just at the gin mill listening to a Stephen Feifke's quintet. Uh, you were on, on the piano, on the electric piano, and I'm sorry I couldn't pick it up as well as I, as I wanted to. Next time I will. But my, my, my curiosity is like, as you're playing, are you thinking about your fingers or do they just Move. go? I mean, when I type, I don't think about typing. It's just like I have an idea and it just it kind of gets put move. down on the page. You think you don't? You're not thinking about I gotta put the finger here or there. No, it just blah, 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 just comes no, no, out. No. I mean, well, a couple of things. One, I will say about playing with sadness, like starting with sadness. Sometimes I played some jazz and sadness and rediscovered my happiness hmm. in doing that. <laughs> so so it's professor. not. It's not necessarily. Well, so it's no, not. It really is. It's not necessarily about okay. I'm feeling so sad. It's like you, you just you let go. And you play, and you're in the moment, and all of a sudden you find joy again. Right. So, right. Even yeah. though you're sad. Even though you started out sad, you may yeah. not end that way. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, about this, are you thinking this or that? I mean, for me, when you're really playing, it's, it's like a meditation. Mm-hmm. It's not a conscious thing. It's an unconscious thing. I always say that, you know, I talk to my students about the difference between, like, playing and practicing. Practicing is a conscious activity where I'm going to try to, you know, I need to play this shorter, or I need to play this, you know, cleaner, or I need to work on this. And you're and working that. on your, your, your Yeah, and, your and, 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 uh, and playing is an unconscious activity, and I, I tell my students, put your default setting on discovery and leave it there. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's true. I, I, get, I got an A for remembering that. Ah, very good. I, mean, I, I can relate that to being a, to being an actor. It's like I'm always, It's like the best time is when you don't think about what you're doing, instead right. of like like the judge on your shoulder. That's exactly saying, it. Oh, you're not very good right now. Right. right. So if you get kill that judge. Right. So that happens in jazz too. Yeah. And I think you know to your point you made about the arts. I think in any art, whether you're, I was watching. I've been in a, you know, we're talking about in- inspirations. I've been on a YouTube Marlon Brando thing lately, just like watching nice. Marlon Brando. And Missouri Breaks? Have you seen <laughs> that one lately? Yeah, I haven't seen that one. But, okay. Um, you know, it, it was the whole thing about just losing yourself in the part, in the moment. He had that ability. That's why they consider him to be the greatest actor, because right. he became... He wasn't thinking. He was that person. Right, right, right. He didn't even want to memorize lines, yeah. right? He I just wanted he to. Had the lines fed into his ear. I heard. Yeah, so or written on uh, big scripts. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what about you? Uh, inspirations. I know we're kind of getting. Surprised away. you, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about Jim Mill and feeling your fingers. Like there've been some nights where I had way too many beers there and I'm <laughs> struggling to feel my fingers. <laughs> but well, you could be too much in your unconscious too. <laughs> <laughs> There's an amazing bartender in there, uh, James. Um, yeah, 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 deluxe yeah. cocktails at the gin mill. Mm-hmm. At the gin mill, yeah, the yeah. gin mill is really awesome. It's yeah. a great hang for any West Siders Monday nights. Okay, Steven's so that's there. the next question coming up. Yeah. Why don't you talk about that? What's the good? What's the coolest places? The coolest in the, the jazz coolest scene jazz today? Venue. Where any, we, anywhere we Stephen or David are playing. <laughs> yeah, the coolest places obviously. At night. And we got to keep sure. this guy around. <laughs> now, I was actually thinking when I moved here. The scene. Or like, what do you like? Tuesday nights was Cleopatra's Needle in the early 2000s. Wow. They closed, you know. Well, that, they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, it was uh, Julius Tolentino, Jeremy Pelt, Jeb Patton. Sometimes uh, the Strickland brothers. Like the Tuesday nights, that was the best session. At Cleopatra's. Yeah, <laughs> it, that was the best session. You're talking about the original Cleopatra's Needle, or the one that. The one over here, up here on 92nd. Because they, cause yeah. they moved, they moved downtown a little would, bit. But they oh, were there since yeah. since. But yeah. the jazz club he has been there for a least, long time, yeah. and they closed. And we were just talking about how these great neighborhood 
bars, restaurants yeah. Are, yeah. Are, are closing. It's the landlord. And Cleopatra's Needle. Yeah, Eric Lewis would come up. Winton Roy would come really? up. Really? Tuesday nights was like the best night. Because we live right around the corner from yeah. Cleopatra's yeah. Needle. Well, we're like, we're just up the, down the block from, from, from there. But, uh, you know, places close and places open. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the New York, there's more, I think there's more clubs than ever, quite frankly. I could be wrong. I don't, I might be speaking. You know, I was thinking here. about that. I was thinking, well, I'm going to be the old guy in the panel, so I'm going to have to really. <laughs> That's why you, we brought you on. <laughs> so we know you'd have some history. Well, and and I, I would have to agree with Jeff. I, I don't. I was thinking. Well, some things have gone away, but new things have opened. It's. I think, in that respect, there, there there's still a very healthy scene, and there there are places to play, and 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 all of that. Um, you know, some of the other economic things have changed. I mean, some of the bigger clubs are more corporate owned, and all the stuff that we were talking about earlier. But um, still, a number of places. Uh, to play in very healthy scenes like smalls and places like that where uh, there's, a, there's still a lot of development and and uh, exciting new music happening. But I, I think like, what Stephen did is he created a scene in a, in a bar. Like, Let's talk yeah. about the gym. I mean, he yeah. made that happen because for years I wondered, I wonder if there could be music here and then they had this room in the basement that's actually, it's a beautiful room actually and it, it was really just used for private events, is that is that right? And, yeah, yeah, 100% right. Um, so I was approached by um, uh, Andrew Neasley, who's a great trumpet player, music director, arranger. Um, he would be a great candidate for this show as well. Um, and he uh, is really the, the driving force behind having the series downstairs at the Gin Mill. And he approached me and he asked me if I'd be interested in running a session. We talked about the details, um, and we've been running it for uh, the past year and a half, a little over a year and a half, like almost a year and three quarters now. Um, and as Jeff mentioned about um, several months ago in April, um, James Yardley um, at Drinks by James, hashtag Drinks by James. <laughs> um, he uh, came in and he does these amazing uh, cocktails, and he just dived into the spirit of the of the of what the the, the speakeasy downstairs at the Gin Mill had become, and even the menus there. It, you have to go and check it out. It's really just such an amazing vibe. But the menus are. Um, are little melodies that that are about like one of the ingredients in uh in the in the specialty cocktails and the ingredients are listed as lyrics so everybody's kind of uh fun. Co- yeah it is fun everybody's come together between um andrew and james and myself and also you know dave and jeff um by playing at the session by coming and, and hanging um, the, the session's really just been building over the past year and, uh, 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 and a half or so, and it's just, um, it's awesome to be, uh, I, you know, I've never been a part of that before, and it's not usually something that I've even done. You know, I lead my own projects, but to be um, the part of developing a series has been something that's been very new and very exciting, and um, I've learned a lot from, from doing it, and it's, uh, you know, it, it, like... You learned a lot musically or business-wise? Uh, Sure, both. Why not? Okay. Why not both? <laughs> but, but, um, you do have some economics in your background, <laughs> you'll recall. Uh, yeah, let me just um, yeah, <laughs> open up my, my notes. Um, but yeah, you know, I also, uh, the first time that I went to the gym, I was playing a private event downstairs in the, in the speakeasy. Um, and I was like, wow, this would be a cool place to have music. And it was just serendipitous that about two weeks later, and, and Andy approached me and, yeah. and said, do you want to do this? I was like, okay, sure. So is this once Why a week? Not? Once a week, Monday nights um, from 8.30 to 11, and every third Monday of the month, there's a big band that plays downstairs, Seth Seth Weaver's big band. Um, And rumor has it there's going to be a dual, D-U-A-L, not D-U-E-L, a dual big band night coming up. With your band? With my band. All right. Dually. But but it's not dually. Dual two. Not dually. Two. Duo. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, yeah. No, it's an exciting... You know, I've Space. always it's just fun. it's and continuing to develop. Yeah, and I don't think you can the overstate most exciting part. You can't overstate it. how hard it is to curate something like that. I mean, people come to see Stephen because he's so talented and he's he's you know he's playing at such a high level that musicians want to come and right, right. N- right. Not anyone could step in and do that and build something, and, and he then, does an amazing. Then you job. have kind of a jam session afterwards. I mean, you invite people in, and I was surprised at how wonderful these kinds of pickup players. I mean, they just were coming in to... to well, they, they're not just pickup players. I, I, would, I would hate to, to define them as such. Um, they're just friends of ours and people uh-huh. who have heard about the session who want to come play. You know, we, we started off the... Yeah, and sing. We started off this conversation by really talking about 
the urgency, like or the difference between New York and LA, how everybody just wants to play all the time versus in LA, LA maybe people want to play a round of golf. Um, you know, in, in, in New York, and it's, it, it's cool to just see everybody who just wants to come and play and hang out and and um, make music together. And the spirit of the city is present in every jam session, whether it's at Smalls, you know, it's a really it's very sad that Cleo's closed down. Yeah. Um, but this is part of the legacy, you know, is that, uh, so uh, Cleopatra's closed down, but the gin mill started up. This is the, the beauty of New York, you know, uh, and why the scene is still thriving, I think, mm-hmm. is that, you know, we've lost some, some clubs, but then other new scenes. And it, 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 so it becomes a place that, it's a great hang, you right? Know, like Jeff was describing his experiences at Cleopatra's Needle, because the cats were coming out, and this was a great hang, and it was great music, and that's where everyone went. And and this is a big part, you know, the schedule that Stephen was describing is a big part of success in New York. You know, there's so much other stuff going on that if you do, if everyone knows that on this night, you mm-hmm. know, or this day of the month that this happens, then it starts to pick up steam after a while because people can. You know, start planning on that. Can I, I? I would add to that. Like the the way I met these guys. Like I knew about Dave. I mean, I've, I've seen you play before I met you. I've seen your concerts, and and then we did uh, the Greg Ribolo rehearsal, which is mm-hmm. a non paid rehearsal at the Union, and in, in like one o'clock in the afternoon. And, and you were playing tenor that day, and I was like, man, I get to play with Pietro finally, you know? <laughs> and it was amazing. And I met Steven up at uh, Showman's with Benny Banach. Yeah. You, you were there, and, yep. and Benny's like, you got to meet Steven. He's amazing, a piano player and an arranger. And Seeing I mean, Jerry's show. at Jerry Weldon, Jerry, yeah. well done. Uh, Jerry, yeah. so what a scene, you this guys. This is why it works, because yeah. musicians, see, everyone comes out in well, different facilities. What a life you guys have. It ain't I mean, easy, but it's fun. No, I mean, <laughs> but you're, you're like, you're playing together. You're building something yeah. in the moment. So mm-hmm. how was it? How was it today to make a career as a jazz musician? Uh, you're all established um, at this you're point. You're all established. But you, but know, you must know people coming up. I mean, it, what's it like? I'll jump in if it's okay. Of um, course. You know, one of the coolest things about running the session at the Gin Mill is that I meet a lot of uh, younger musicians who are who have just moved to town and that are know, hungry. That are hungry, and, and one one thing that um, I, you know, I couldn't have uh, started off in New York if it weren't for some people, you know, namely my professor to my left, Mr. Pietro, um, who was playing, who was kind enough to play in my band when I was um, a sophomore and a junior at, at NYU. Wow. Um, probably before I was ready. But, you know, it was because of people like, like Dave and, and Gil, who, you know, took a chance, who trusted um, me and my whatever to, um, to, to pursue something serious. And now running the Gin Mill Sessions, you know, not that I see myself in that same way, but I do notice that young musicians come up to me and say, like, hey, I just moved to town. Um, and my first response is always, like, here's my information, here's my email address, get in touch, like, let's get a coffee, let's talk. And I think that that's also a, a really, and that's not unique to me. But um, how does that work? Does this, did they send you a tape or something? Or No, uh, there's no, no, not at all. Like it's that? not even about, you know, playing. It's just about um, curiosity and wanting to, to be there and be in New York City. And, you know, I remember, I'm, I'm from Lexington, Massachusetts. I didn't, I almost didn't come to NYU to go to NYU for school. And if I hadn't gone to NYU, I probably wouldn't have moved to the city. Um, so I wound up here by chance, like a small quote-unquote country <laughs> boy, whatever that you want. You're an immigrant. I'm an, uh, sure, I'm an emigrant. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, seriously, the city's a very challenging place, you know. Um, so as much as one can do to help others um, on their journey forwards, I think that that's um, a responsibility that we all have as musicians because we felt what it's like. We all, you know... Establish, yeah. not establish, whatever you want to call, you know. I, well, coming yeah. up, did you have, I mean, are there any stories about your beginnings that, uh, or was it all, did it, was it smooth? Well, I mean, what I, what I would interject, I guess, uh, from a historical perspective. There you go. <laughs> Professor, <laughs> Dave Pietro. Is, no, my, my, I, think, I think I had it easier. So formal. I think I had it easier than, 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 than you know, these guys. Because um, the scene, when I came up, I mean, I think the jazz scene was, was healthy, but, but there was a healthier commercial scene. So it was much easier. Like, I, I, I went out on the road with Liza Minnelli for a while. I played the Kremlin with Liza Minnelli, I mean, in my 20s. 
Uh, I went on the road with Woody Herman's band for a year and Lionel Hampton's band for a year and Maynard Ferguson's band for a year. I played at the Rainbow Room six nights a week for, for a year and a half. Um, there, there, there were just more opportunities to make money playing your instrument than there are now. Right. Well, well, Jeff, you, you've so. been playing with Harry Connick Jr. for a long time, right? Well, no, I, mean, that, that's I a was gig. a music copyist for over 10 years, and then I okay. got a gig. I waited it out, basically. Okay. But no, Dave is actually, he's absolutely right. I mean, uh, there's more clubs than ever, but they're, you know, you're not going to make a living strictly playing these clubs in New York because, okay, they're still, they're not paying, you know, they're paying, we, we joke we play 1950s music with <laughs> 1950s wages. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. what I, I kind of assumed, but, um, actually, yeah. You have to do other things. Well, yeah, I mean. Other gigs or. Sure, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, but here's the irony, and I was thinking about you today, David, because we talked about, I, we were recounting a story, you told me about your Broadway years mm. when you moved to New York, and it was a lot of jazz, like amazing jazz musicians that did these gigs, and the, the commercial scene has dried up, but I think one of the benefits of that is all these musicians who would have pursued the commercial gigs are teaching now, they're professors, and, and, and they're the, the, the college scene has exploded. I mean, it's just massively wow. improved. I mean, there's cool. so many options now to get trained and to come out of school with so much knowledge and, and ranging um, all across the country. It's not, it, there used to be just a few players in town, you know, um, if you were choosing schools coming out of high school, but I, now it's, it's, a, it's, it's grown so much and you have an influx of young, extremely talented and informed musicians coming out of schools more than ever, and I think that, that trend will continue. Okay, and, and Dave, maybe you can speak to that. You're the director of the Jazz Studies at New York University. Yes. I mean, do you see budding talent coming up? Of course. You know, I mean, I, I have colleagues who are like, all right, so you're teaching Jazz Studies. Like, wh why? Because there's no uh, way for anyone to make a living and, you know, this sort of no. dark. And my, my, I mean, I'm inspired by my students because... Even in spite of the headwinds that they might have, they're so passionate and so talented and so driven that this is what they have to do. That uh, that uh, you know, I, I feel compelled to 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 do everything that I can to help them. Like Stephen was mentioning, playing in his band. There's like one small example. Like I I feel like it. It, it, it's what I, I, I should do is, is just do everything I can to, ha I mean, to help, to help out. And everybody finds a way, you know, like Jeff was saying. I mean, t yes, uh, young people are teaching more. I didn't do any teaching till I was in my late 30s. I didn't have to. I was doing a lot of gigs. Uh, but now people are teaching right out of school. But okay, so that's how they make their living. And they're still able to do their music and they're still able to, to, to live their dream and, and do what they want to do. And, and that's really what all anybody wants, you know. It's true. It's true. It's, it, it's a very interesting idea. So the jazz is coming out of the university now. It's kind of coming out of the training part of it. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of on the, 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 the cutting edge of that, where, where like before me, uh, not many people had gone to school. And then, you know, I went to North Texas, which is one of the biggest schools. And, and like since then, there's been a lot of... Yeah, that was one of the top, that was like the, the big three. It was like North Texas, Berkeley, and maybe Indiana yeah, for years. Yeah, Miami was in a, you know, in a yeah, big school. Yeah, Miami, that's right. Wow. But, but then I came to New York, and I got my, uh, well, I, got, I, I waited until 35 for my graduate degree, but I, I say my real graduate degree was when I moved to New York and sat next to Frank West and Jerry Dodge <laughs> in Toshiko Akiyoshi's band. And I, right. I never took a formal lesson with either of those guys, and every time I sat next to them, was a lesson not not just about music or how to play the saxophone, but about life. That's where you got your PhD. Yeah, that's yeah. like uh, Bobby Purcelli sitting next to him at the garage. I did a big <laughs> band there for years, wow. and that, his sound was ridiculous. All right, so what are you all doing today? What, where can we come and see you? Where are you performing tonight? Well, we're at the anytime, <laughs> anytime within the next the gin mill for sure. Two weeks. <laughs> I'll be at uh, Swing 46 tomorrow with uh, Ron, Ron Sunshine. He's got a, a pretty decent band. I'm traveling. I'll be in Boston. Um, actually, wait, next week I'm doing a bunch of stuff for Jazzling Center. They have an education department there, so there's a program called Jazz for Young People. Um, so I'll be doing that, but that's not 
I don't know. Unless, I don't think. I mean, well, you could try and get a guest pass to the elementary schools, but <laughs> but you yeah. also be playing at the gin mill. But, yeah, leave your Tito's at home. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Yeah. Then after we never do. Yeah, Note taken. Then after yeah. that, involves. Yeah, really. I, I, I'm sorry. I got ways of doing that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, seeing as this is the bar crawl radio, if I could give one last plug to the gin mill, just come out, see what's going on there, check it out. Every Monday night, eight thirty to eleven. Um, I'm there most Mondays, and on every third Monday, it's Seth Weaver's big band. Andrew Neasley's there. James Yarden is there with the Drinks by James specials. Gin Mill Speakeasy at 81st Street and Amsterdam Avenue. So it's it, it's yeah, right there. When you get inside, don't don't get perturbed. Like you got to go downstairs because it's going to see a, a lot of people watching sports and stuff. And, oh, okay, okay. So look for the sign and walk downstairs. Li- listen for the music, basically. And what about you, Dave? Dave? I'm playing tomorrow night at the Zinc Bar. Ah. We all made a, a dectet at 10 p.m. And then uh, at the bar next door a couple of weeks. And we are ending with uh, this conversation with a recent performance by Dave Pietro with the Gin Mill Speakeasy with the Stephen Feifke Quartet. Um, they're playing a counterfact of I Got Rhythm. Tell us counterfact. Contrafact. 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 Ah. Sorry, I'm ignorant. <laughs> contrafact. What is that? Uh, contrafact. Uh, Professor, you want to discuss a contrafact? Or well, uh, a contrafact is a, a, a melody that's written over the chord changes of another melody. For, okay. exam- for example, uh, Donna Lee, famous song Donna Lee by Charlie Parker, is written over the chord changes of the old song Indiana. Okay. There you go. There, okay. Here it is. So this is written over the chord changes of I've Got Rhythm. Exactly. It was a great gig. It was a great gig. Thanks to Jeff Burke, Stephen Feifke, Dave Pietro for joining us today for this Bar Crawl Radio conversation on the state of jazz in our great, wonderful New York City. There's no place like this like this city. Um, there is a bunch of great live jazz in our city and on the Upper West Side, as we've been saying. So check out, one more time, the Gin Mill Speakeasy featuring G- Stephen Feifke at the Jazz Piano and all this other great jazz that's going on in the city. And gentlemen, we want to thank you again for uh, sharing your insights and uh, your music with us. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I was I was late to this. No, you weren't late. You weren't late. No, no, no. It was cool. We, it's not. We it's not a jazz thing. You can't. It was jazz time. Yeah, jazz time. Jazz time. <laughs> I was more funny than having a beer. Yeah. Cool, guys. Have a good night.